All right. Hello and welcome back to Liddy Learning with Lauren. So in our last two episodes, we focused a lot on ritual and folk dance. This week, we're going to be putting sort of a tie on both of those and moving into more codified forms, um, our first one being ballet. Both of the readings for this week came from um, our text, Ballet and Modern Dance in a Concise History. Um, it's written by Jack Anderson, and the two chapters kind of covered um, sort of, you know, our uh, segue out of this uh, ritual and folk dance area and kind of brought us into the um, start of ballet. So I really love the way this chapter started us out. It says that the art of movement is among the oldest of the arts. I just thought that was a really good perspective because it talked a lot about how there's really just always been movement and always been motion, um, whether it be, you know, from the human body uh, or even just from nature um, and the, you know, changing seasons. You know, in the same way, it kind of ties into talking about how, um, brings us back to that idea of ritual and folk dance, how, you know, it says that hunters would go out and they would dance, you know, before they went hunting or, you know, uh, warriors would dance before marching off into battle. Um, tribes danced to banish evil spirits and to ask favors from the gods. So it really paints this picture that, you know, there's always been movement, um, whether it be for enjoyment or for, you know, those more specific purposes. Um, it's always just been utilized in history, really. The reading goes on to kind of further um, explain the relevance of dance and history by kind of going through um, the history of like the Greeks and the Romans and how they utilize dance just within their culture and their everyday life. So the Greeks, for example, um, they considered dance to be watched over um, by one of the nine muses. Um, and the muses were the goddesses um, who protected the arts. So just from that, you can really get an idea um, of how important, you know, dance, you know, and the arts as a whole uh, was to their lifestyle, that they had a god who watched over it and kind of guided it, so to speak. In class, uh, we kind of developed our discussion um, about Greek um, dance and theater into our own movement project, which was actually super fun. Um, so Greek, um, you know, dance and theater, they had a lot of um, more, you know, basic um, I won't say basic, but their dancing was very, um, you know, gestural. Um, it could be very literal. And um, for our movement project, we were given a poem um, from Greek history, and we kind of had to adapt that into a comedy or, you know, a comedy and a tragedy um, sort of dance, uh, which was actually super fun. We had uh, different groups for it. My partner and I, we brought in props and everything for it. Uh, probably went a little too over the top with it, but it definitely gave us a better idea um, of what that looked like, because I think uh, for us currently, we're, you know, used to considering dance and dances or, you know, performances in general to be these, um, you know, big, you know, perfected moves and, you know, um, including a lot of technique and stuff like that. Whereas, you know, entertainment can be something like that, where, it's more focused on uh, sort of gestural moments, uh, movements, sorry, uh, to portray something such as, you know, uh, what's being said from the piece of poetry. Um, their art was very intertwined in that way, where, you know, poetry, song, dance, all of that, you know, they, it wasn't all these separate categories that we, I think, gear to 
uh, more now today. It was, you know, it was one and the same. It was theater um, and it was art. And then moving forward from that, naturally, we talked about um, ancient Rome and particularly uh, pantomime, which was kind of where a solo performer portrayed all the characters in a story uh, taken from like mythology or history. And often the performer would, you know, change costume um, and, you know, indicate that they were a different uh, character, maybe by changing their voice. Um, and there was like a lot of mimery that went on in that Um just, you know, more gestural movements as well. And, and it was made, you know, like quite the spectacle. People went out um, and enjoyed seeing that. And what I found very interesting was that, you know, like moving forward into the Middle Ages as well, um, dance was this thing that was important. It was an important part of life for, you know, both aristocrats and just um, the common people. It wasn't, you know, only for nobility or, you know, only for, you know, a lower class. It was everybody. Um, they were all attributing to this, you know, growth and art and um, this sort of entertainment uh, was just kind of a common ground, so to speak. So moving on later into the Renaissance, though, we do see quite the change um, in dance, not only what type of dance is being utilized, um, but also who it's being made for and performed by. Um, so this is kind of our rise of ballet. Uh, the book, it was kind of funny. The book mentions um, stuff that looked like ballet uh, was starting to happen, but it wasn't quite ballet. The steps and the technique uh, weren't necessarily uh, formed yet or codified. Um, they were kind of just dancing out of this idea, um, you know, from like the royal courts and like courtly dances, um, which is where we're going to start seeing um, the idea of ballet flourish. Um, what's interesting about ballet is that it was kind of started um, by nobility and for nobility. Um, so the book highlights Catherine uh, de' Medici. She was an Italian and she was kind of accredited with bringing um, not only ballet, but also, um, you know, manners and fashion um, and more, you know, arts over to France with her. And so she's kind of accredited with um, hiring the first uh, choreographer to um, start an early attempt of creating an extended uh, choreographic spectacle. Um, what we now would, you know, call a ballet, it uh, sort of just vaguely resembled it um, at the time, at least. Uh, this performance or spectacle, so to speak, um, it was called the Ballet Comique, um, and Catherine honestly just thought it was so great that she kind of had to share it with the rest of Europe, so she sort of distributed um, illustrated depictions of it um, all across the continent, just so, you know, people could get to know what it was, really, you know. Um, they hadn't had something like that before, so she decided it was this, like, you know, lavish uh, form of theatrical entertainment, um, and people honestly got really into it, uh, it started being, you know, more widely uh, produced. And, you know, uh, that's how essentially um, ballet started uh, becoming a technique uh, further down the line, at least. Um, an important fact to know about this is that um, some of these first ballets or first performances were actually just produced um, kind of in sort of a hallway um, setting almost. Um, there wasn't necessarily a proscenium stage or anything like that. Uh, that came along um, a little bit later. Um, 
same with uh, just performing like, you know, in a um, ballroom setting. That all kind of came later um, when they realized that, you know, performing in a hall wasn't really going to do it for the type of spectacle and the type of crowd they really wanted to attract. Um, this is something we talked a lot about in class, actually. Uh, there was a lot of different discussions about the proscenium stage setting itself. Um, some of my classmates brought up good points saying that, you know, um, the whole proscenium stage and ballet, um, being that it was all, you know, started for nobility um, and, you know, performed by nobility, uh, that it's kind of guarded and it yeah, could be a reason why uh, ballet is not super available um, to, you know, everyone in the world, so to speak, right now. It's definitely um, got a price tag on it, so to speak, which is something I would agree with uh, to a certain extent. Um, I do feel that it has uh, become more widely available just with the, um, you know, wide range of classes you can take. And, you know, there's, you know, classes for kids, there's classes for adults, there's beginner classes, advanced, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I do acknowledge that, you know, all of that obviously takes money. Um, even just to go see ballet and see performances, um, you do usually have to buy tickets and those can come at, you know, kind of a hefty price. So, um, the idea that ballet is this like higher nobility thing still, I think that still kind of stands, um, and is sort of true today. It's just carried down that air of like fanciness, so to speak. Um, but going along with changes and just in staging, there was also a lot of changes in technique and in costuming. Um, so originally in the costuming, there was a lot of photos of this within the text, and we talked a little bit about it in class, but uh, the costumes themselves were very uh, pompous, and there was definitely a lot of pieces to it. Um, there was all kinds of, you know, just a lot of layers, really, big hats, and the ballet shoes even had heels on them, so... That has obviously since gone away, um, and it's really, if you think about it, it's kind of stripped down uh, almost to a bare minimum of elegance, so to speak, I would think. Um, so yeah. Uh, going forward with that, uh, we did have quite the discussion how ballet uh, was commonly danced by men. Um, a lot of men would even take female roles, uh, which definitely reminded me of the Japanese dance theater culture, which we talked about last week. Um, you know, a lot of men, it was almost always men playing female roles and they got special training for it. Um, you know, the case is still the same. Um, in this scenario, we talked about, uh, Louis VIII, uh, in particular, he was very, um, proud of himself for the female roles he played. Uh, he thought he did them very well. Uh, overall, just a little, uh, you know, sort of tidbit about him. Uh, the text covered him a little bit, and we kind of had a discussion about him. Um, I think he sort of sums up the essence of ballet pretty well, because he had a very sort of arrogant, um, you know, showboaty, like, oh, look at me, um, you know, like, I'm so great, and, uh, you know, kind of fabulous um, sort of tone to him that we talked a little bit on during class. So that was sort of, you know, a fun um segue just to be able to look at one person in history in particular and see how much um, they kind of attributed to a certain tone of the um, technique or, you know, of ballet in general. And kind of wrapping it up with advancements in technique, 
Um, we talked in particular in class about the usage of turnout, um, as it was mentioned in the text as well. But um, this kind of came along because jousting was something that was particularly popular. And, um, you know, a lot of jousting forms called for this more turned out position. Um, and we found these connections that jousting actually relates to ballet really well. If you think about it, it's um, they're both something that require a lot of balance, uh, quickness on the feet, you know, usage of this like faster footwork um, and just overall um, body coordination, really. So, yeah, that's sort of our overview of, um, you know, the early start of ballet, um, the beginning of the proscenium stage, um, you know, the figuring out of, you know, how to make this codified technique out of ballet, um, and all just the spectacle that kind of um, got flushed into ballet, and that's made it what it is today, you know, all the way from, you know, uh, Greek dance and, you know, dances from like the Romans that, you know, they're sort of pantomimes and spectacles that inspired um, this idea of ballet and everything. Um, I definitely enjoyed uh, reading this section. I wouldn't say it was one of my favorites. Um, I kind of find it hard to uh, just connect really well to ballet. It is something I grew up with, but uh, I don't know. I think it can be over talked about in a sense. Um, but I was interested just to see its start, really. It's not quite what I expected, especially with um, just the costuming they used originally, those um, layers and the heels. Um, and it was pretty interesting to me just to sum up um, how the proscenium stage came around because it's something today that's so uh, prominent to us as performers and um, people who are currently, you know, um, studying something like dance as I am. So I think it is definitely important to go and look back on and find those connections between, you know, you know, just how, you know, ritual dance and folk dance tie all the way into ballet, because from where I'm sitting right now, it honestly seems uh, so far apart, but being able to read about it and actually follow it through history and see kind of a um, more detailed timeline uh, has made me realize how connected and influenced all of these things are. Um, so yeah, that's a wrap on today's episode and tune in next week.